Hillary Smith is a young writer and artist living on the West Coast. She studied English literature at the University of British Columbia, where she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in her junior year. Now 24, Hillary realized that though bipolar disorder was a much-talked-about psychiatric condition, there were few people talking about young people experiencing it for the first time in a true grit, from-the-heart fashion. With that in mind, Hillary has written Welcome to the Jungle, everything you ever wanted to know about bipolar but were too freaked out to ask. It's a book that pulls no punches in describing what bipolar disorder is, what helps, and what's a bunch of nonsense. Hillary joins us now to talk about it. Hillary, welcome to Flip Switch. Thank you, Chris. So you have a new book coming out, Welcome to the Jungle. When does it come out? It came out, so it should be available in stores and definitely available online now. What inspired you to write the book? Well, about five years ago, I was diagnosed with bipolar. Um, I was about 19, turning 20. And when I got that diagnosis, my parents went out to the big bookstore in town, Chapters, and they bought me a pile of books about bipolar. And I just I just couldn't really connect to them. I hated them, actually. Uh, so I decided to write my own book to help people who were my own age and my own situation. Now, what is it that they were missing, in your opinion? I felt like they were all talking to adults. And it was very clinical and very serious. And I just kind of rankled at the, the tone of voice that the books had. Right. Like one of the things we talk about is how like a lot of this stuff is between the cracks where the real issues come up. So, you know, you can hear how to, how here's get good sleep and don't do drugs. Yeah. And, and yet everybody's still staying up anyway. Yeah. So it's like actually how to get that done. How did you, I mean, where do you go to find that type of information? That doesn't seem to be easily available, even with all the books out there. For writing my book, I drew a lot on my own experience, how I figured out how to live with these conflicting messages, and then also talking to other people, other people my own age with bipolar, and reading what's out there on the internet and books, and talking to doctors and stuff. Now, your book is pretty, it's pretty uh, in-your-face, straightforward. Uh, what made you decide to like be that kind of brash about it? Because you don't pull any punches at any point. Well, because um, I really wrote the book for, for myself when I was 18. I'm now 24. And 18-year-old me and 24-year-old me wouldn't want anyone to pull any punches. And I wouldn't trust anyone who didn't who didn't get really real with it. In your book, you use this tennis court on top of a hill as a metaphor for dealing with bipolar disorder and taking care of yourself and how that entails building a fence around the court so you can chase the ball around the hill a million times. Is it possible to ever like build that fence too high, in your opinion, as in like, you know, putting too many protective features around yourself to where you limit your experiences? I definitely think so. I think especially, well, different people react to a diagnosis in a different way. And I think some people would react in kind of a very fearful way, afraid that anything they do could set them off, afraid to, to still go out into the world and do things and follow their dreams. And one thing I try to do with my book is encourage people to continue to follow their dreams, regardless of what label, what diagnosis has been placed on them. How did you know and figure out that you needed to get help? And when, when, when did that happen for you? Well, I think I'd been having highs and lows for a few years before I went to a doctor for it. What finally happened was that I was living with a bunch of friends in Vancouver, and I just stopped being able to sleep. For several months, I, I would get a little bit of sleep here and there, but I just couldn't sleep anymore. I felt like my brain was broken. And so I finally went to a walk-in clinic to get sleeping pills. And 
things kind of went from there in me getting diagnosed. Do you have like any tips on living a productive, happy life while still realizing you have to fight bipolar disorder and the, the symptoms yourself? I think a big part of it is really thinking outside the box. And instead of thinking, I have this disorder, this disorder has these symptoms, I have to, to do this and that for the disorder, think of yourself just as a person. I'm just me. Instead of thinking, I have this disorder, I think, I'm just me. I need this amount of sleep, and I need to do these things to help myself, but I'm just a person living my life. Right. One of the things we talk about, kind of related to that, is on our show, we talk about a good idea is to help train your body to a healthy middle, and that would be just not living in extremes, so to speak. So having a structured kind of life. Yeah. And you talk a little bit about that type of thing in, in your book. Is there anything that you do that makes making daily routines and go while you're dealing with things, you make it a little less tedious? Because a lot of people can find it pretty tedious. <laughs> I don't get bored very easily. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, I find that the things I do to help myself, I find them interesting. Like I, I spend a lot of time in the forest which gets me exercise and also gets me outside the house and, and also gives me kind of a daily ritual, a daily habit to keep my rhythms going. And that really helps me. I think it's just finding a system that you really enjoy and that doesn't bore you. Do you have any advice for dealing with the aftermath of a manic episode? Somebody's gone up and then now they're crashing and they, they may realize they've done stupid things when they were uh, manic or they, they just don't feel good about who they were and they, they've lost control, so now they're in the aftermath of that. It's very important in that kind of situation to really talk to your friends and family and get them to reflect back on you that they love you, you're still a good person. A lot of the time, at least for myself, the, the feelings of guilt and shame can be really overwhelming, and it really helps to have good friends and family there who are saying, I still trust you, I still believe in you, you can't lose faith in yourself because this happened. What is in your future when, it, I mean, you, you write a pretty kind of openly about all these different strategies, and now you, you've written this book. What, what's, what's in the future for Hillary Smith? Well, I do want to be a writer. I'm, I'm working on a young adult novel right now. I really want to be a novelist. And so I'm hoping that I'll get that finished up this summer and, and maybe try seeing if I can get that published. I'm also getting really interested in foraging. With my time in the forest, I'm thinking about maybe trying to do something with that, with wild plants and mushrooms. But overall, I mostly just want to be a writer and keep writing about mental health and also writing fiction. Now, whenever somebody has to go into the hospital or they first get diagnosed, they come into contact with, for lack of a better word, the healthcare system, which yeah. sounds very ominous. What has been your experience of the healthcare system? Well, I have kind of an interesting experience because when I started my bipolar experience, I was living in Canada. I'm a dual citizen. I'm Canadian and American. And right now I live in the States and my experience in both countries has been very, very different. When I was in Canada, I could go to a walk-in clinic and see a doctor, get prescription, and I didn't pay any money out of pocket for any of those services. I didn't pay any money out of pocket for my psychiatrist that I was seeing or anything. And since moving to the U.S., I felt that the healthcare establishment is much more sinister, much more inaccessible, and it really stresses me out. What do you think that is that's pushing that? I mean, why the big change? Well, I guess Canada and the States just has a different history of, of how their healthcare systems got set up. Right. And it feels like a stark change for me because all of a sudden I'm in the U.S. I was living in California when I first moved to the States, and I couldn't get health insurance because of this pre-existing condition of bipolar. And it was really scary not having that safety net and, in fact, feeling 
discriminated against and rejected by the healthcare system. That leads us directly to the idea of stigma. I mean, have you had any big issues come up with stigma since you've been diagnosed? The thing I felt the most harshly was definitely trying to get health insurance in the United States. Another thing that happened was once I was signing up to go on some retreat in the mountains in California and they had a, you know, filling out the application form to go and there's a section that asks if you have bipolar or schizophrenia and they didn't want you to go if you had one of these diagnoses. And I thought that was very, very strange and very unreasonable. <laughs> and it turns out that other people who had been interested in, in going on this retreat had also complained about that and there was, there were some articles published and and it was interesting to see how organizations try to protect themselves, but in the process, they end up discriminating. How do you deal with that? I mean, like some people, they only let people know on a need-to-know basis. Because, you know, in the States, they have the ADA, which says, you know, nobody has the right to know unless you tell them, unless it yeah. would specifically interfere with the job. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, for myself, writing a book about it, I'm pretty open about it. Otherwise, right. otherwise there's no way I can read that book. But I'm, I'm very open about it with people. I don't really see a, a reason not to be. It makes my life a lot easier, not having to hide things and not having to hide my emotions or make up stories about why I disappear now and then or why I do certain things. Has it ever put a strain on, like, friendships or anything? It hasn't put a strain on friendships, I would say. I mean, some, I have a, a boyfriend that I live with, and sometimes I think it gets, it gets a bit hard for him when I'm having ups and downs. But overall, I wouldn't say it's damaged any of my relationships. It's made things more interesting, for sure. Sometimes it's a bit more challenging. What are some of kind of, I guess, lack of a better term, like best practices for like somebody who's has a friend or a family member who has been diagnosed recently? What what can they do to help? The best thing we can do to help, I think, is well, a to get informed and get get accurate information. There's, there's nothing worse than having a parent or a relative who has all kinds of misconceptions and, and crazy ideas about what it means to have bipolar. So the first thing is for them to get good information. And the second thing, I think I think the best thing that a family member, boyfriend, girlfriend can do for someone who has bipolar is to help them remember who they are when they're at their most happy, stable point. One thing that happened to me after I was diagnosed with bipolar was that I couldn't even remember what it felt like to feel normal and happy and safe and stable. And just having friends around me who were saying, oh, remember that time last year when we went camping and everything was great? Just helped me to remember what it felt like to feel okay and to realize that I could feel that way again. Some people, depending on the severity of their condition, they have to live with the knowledge that even if they take the best care of themselves as they possibly can, they may have a flare-up with, with a manic episode. And uh, that just may happen. You had to live with like kind of that in the background. And if so, like, have you been able to kind of deal with it, that possibility always being there? Well, I am not on the most possible extreme end of the bipolar spectrum. And so I don't live day to day with a pressing fear that, that everything is going to completely explode. I do live with what, what every person on the bipolar spectrum lives with is, is this awareness that over my lifetime, I will have these highs and lows that happen to me, and they're probably not going to totally go away or evaporate. And that can be hard sometimes. It can be frustrating just thinking that even if I've been feeling okay for a couple of months, I can't really prevent every episode from happening, but some of them will happen. And I think the best way to deal with that is 
just to try and not dwell on it, prepare for it as best as possible, and always keep my eye on the fact that I will get over it and then things will get better again. For you, what was the like one thing that you think should have like was the kind of key thing or one important thing you should have communicated about your disorder or did communicate about your disorder that kind of really helped everybody else understand what was going on? I think the most important thing for friends and family to know, I guess, about my own bipolar disorder, my own situation, is that it's something that is completely inseparable from who I am. It's not something that necessarily just comes from outside and then goes away and is over and comes back again. Everything's kind of mixed up together. And I am okay with that. I'm okay with having a life that includes these quirks in my brain. Hmm. On our show, we've had, a, we've had a running debate on if you're going to live this structured kind of keep yourself in the middle sort of life, how kind of rigid should you be about your own health? Should it be something where you can't deviate from this path? Or if you, you know, the, the classic example is I'm going to go out with my friends who are all leaving to go out at, you know, 11 at night when I shouldn't be out. I should be going to bed at 11 at night. Yeah. Like there's many people who feel they're pulled to kind of get off their sleep schedule and not be healthy. And they say, well, if I don't do that, I won't, I won't have a fun life. So uh, where, where do you fall on that? Uh, how do you come down on kind of balancing that whole thing? I think it's important to be flexible, but when I say that, I don't mean I don't mean necessarily that you should that you should disrupt your sleep schedule and go out and all that stuff. And what I mean by be flexible is that you have to look at it on a case by case situation. For example, if I'm not under a lot of stress, if I've been feeling just stable and happy and healthy for a long time, then yeah, I think I could go out go out for that late night. On the other hand, if I've been really stressed out and doing a lot of projects, then it's definitely a bad idea. And you just need to give yourself that freedom and trust yourself to make the right decision depending on your current circumstances. So, Hilary Smith, the book has just come out called Welcome to the Jungle. Everything you ever wanted to know about bipolar but were too freaked out to ask. Thanks so much. Thanks, Chris.